0: This morning as we start our morning with some great worship and this morning I really hope that you guys can just make we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail, they are new every morning, for great is your faithfulness. Let's sing of that faithfulness this morning.
1: God of Abraham, you're the God of covenants and faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proved that do just what you said. all the storms may
2: and have a seat real quick in a moment we're gonna celebrate communion Um, it's you know Jesus never asked us to celebrate his birth but he did instruct the church to celebrate his death and resurrection when we take communion Um, it's to remind us of the sacrifice that he made on the cross so that we could receive his grace and the forgiveness of our sins it's something that's personal where we reflect um, where we confess where we have some time of self-examination and remember his grace But it's also communal in that we do it together, and we're reminded that we're part of a bigger church. It's not just about us. You know, there's a verse in Corinthians we often look at, it says, uh, chapter 11, verses 23, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder verse uh, 25 it goes on in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is a new covenant between god and you sealed by the shedding of my blood do this and remember to me as often as you drink it for every time you eat and drink the bread uh, and the cup and drink the cup you are announcing the lord's death until he comes again so it's a reminder he's coming again it's a reminder of the covenant we have with him And we need to take our responsibility to receive communion seriously. But there needs to be a time of reflection and prayer. And I encourage you before you receive communion today, just to take a moment to reflect upon your sin. And if there's anything you need to confess to the Lord, confess it to the Lord and ask for his grace. Be recommitted to him in your heart. And then come forward. Uh, We're going to Go do something we haven't done in a couple years where we're going to receive communion in front of up here in front of the stage. So, I'd encourage you after during these next two songs, after you've had time to self examine and reflect, to come forward with your family or whoever you came with. If you're by yourself, that's cool too. Grab your communion and take your time up front. You can pray together, take communion together, and then return to your seat. If you're on the patio, I praying for you because you probably shouldn't be out there, but our our ushers will, will bring communion out to you. And if you're in the video venue, we have communion on a table in there. If anyone's unable to come forward uh, for any reason, uh, or you don't want to come forward, you can raise your hand and I have ushers in the back who will bring communion to you at your seat as well. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for being in our presence today thank you for your death on the cross and for the salvation that that brought us lord we honor you as we remember your sacrifice here through communion today in jesus name amen
1: you know some of us this morning might come kenny said to take some time to reflect before you take communion Sometimes we need a reboot, a reset. Now that was me this morning. So I would encourage you, if you need to come and seek forgiveness from the Lord, turn around. I encourage you to do that this morning.
0: The they need is small, child of weakness.
3: Good morning. Welcome to CamCC. Yeah, welcome, 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 where air conditioning is free. Kenny made sure to turn those suckers on at like 6.30 in the morning, so we got it pumping in here today. If you're online with us, welcome. If you're on the patio, why? But uh, welcome as well, and if you're in our video venue, we're excited that you're with us as well. Uh, NFL regular season football starts on Thursday night, and everybody said amen. (laughs) There's something wrong with amens for football. But here's the thing, uh, you know, we don't hate you. We're not against you. Bring your jersey next week. So whatever you represent, whoever you we're non-discriminatory around here. You can represent whoever you want, football, you know, uh, whether it's college football or NFL, uh, whoever you want, bring it, come representing. It's going to be an awesome week. We're going to celebrate the NFL football season together, all right? So you got to do that. Now, I will say we don't discriminate. So we don't discriminate. We don't discriminate is the point of that story. But here's what I'm saying i have noticed over 20 years of being in full-time ministry that uh, there's certain patterns that you that you notice like one 49er fans happen to be godlier than the rest and so if you come in your 49ers attire i'm just you know the lord hears your prayers a little bit louder um um and that's enough of that okay enough of that enough of that you know, 49ers were red, blood of Jesus, red. Enough enough of that, enough of that, we'll we'll keep keep on going. Anyway, in line of football coming on the scene, I thought I'd I'd start with the opener, would be like a football illustration. Uh, If you are familiar with NFL football at all, you know the marquee names of like Dan Marino, John Elway, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, Peyton Manning. These were the Hall of Fame quarterbacks of their, of their, of their realms, of the ages in which they were, they were kind of in football together or even in different genres, different times. But I bet you don't know who followed up each one of them. Like, did you know Dan Marino? Who followed him up? A guy named Jay Fielder Fild- who lasted like three years in the NFL. Uh, who followed up? John Elway. Brian Greasy. Brian Greasy. Who followed up? Terry Bradshaw, a guy named Mark Malone. Roger Staubach had a guy named Danny White. And then Peyton Manning, probably the most recognizable of all, would be Andrew Luck. But each one of them go from a Hall of Famer to a non-Hall of Famer in replacement. Going from a dynasty to going to another dynasty can be difficult, right? All these Hall of Fame quarterbacks gave over the team to somebody who was not a Hall of Famer. Now, Andrew Luck was pretty good, but he's not a Hall of Famer. You don't know any of those names that I said in comparison to like Dan Marino and John Elway, Terry Bradshaw. It is hard to go from one Hall of Famer to another one. It's hard to go from one dynasty to another. And this would be the likes of Johnny Unitas giving way to Dan Fouts, the Colts of old. This would be like Brett Favre giving way to Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers. And then, of course, is the greatest Q, QB uh, transition ever between John, Joe Montana giving over to Steve Young and multiple Super Bowls. Uh, uh, <laughs> I got a lot more on that than I did the first hour. All the Niners fans come the second hour apparently. Uh, you know, you can't just go from a Hall of Famer to a Hall of Famer. It's hard to do, right? Can we just recognize that that's a difficult thing to do on the landscape of the NFL. It's not easy to transfer from one successful genre to another successful time and period and you know what it's also kind of like that in church life i like to make the analogy church in the landscape of church life it's not easy to go from one successful church transitioning to another genre of successful church do you know the life cycle of a church is 50 to 60 years do you know that We've done enough study on that stuff now. Hundreds of years later, the life cycle of any church, from birth to start to excitement to plateau to dying off, is 50 to 60 years. If you're on the sixth year, you're you're kind of at the edge of the life cycle of your church. Every church goes through it. Do you know how old our church is? 60 years. In fact, let's go to that first slide again. Uh, see, it says Camcc established in 1961. Three. Uh, we have a wonderful history. I, I, when I came here, uh, this is the 50th anniversary booklet 10 years ago, this was put out. And I came and I read the whole thing because I wanted to hear all about the history and understand what makes us tick and what makes us historically CamCC. And it was a wonderful history. The first 20 years were hodgepods jumping around, hopping around all around town, all over Camarillo. Couldn't find a permanent place to establish. Different churches would rent us their facilities. We'd grow out of them. We'd go to the next one. we grow out of it. We'd go to the next one. Sometimes we'd go back to a facility. And then there was a church in our denomination, Converge in Lakewood, California, called First Baptist of Lakewood. Now they're called Arbor Road Church. And they decided that they would co-sign for us on this property. If it wasn't for that church, we wouldn't have this property. Did you know that? Another church in Autonomy said, well, it's co signed for you. If you guys don't meet your debt, we'll meet it for you. That's what that means. And probably limited them on what they could do financially as well. Because of that church, we were able to get this land. And then because of the wonderful Pastor Emeritus Ralph Rittenhouse, It seemed like everything he touched turned to gold. That building over there was built, and this building over here was built. 30-some-odd years of Pastor Ralph Rittenhouse being an unbelievable, flagship, gospel-carrying, Jesus-loving pastor in this church. Really a hero of mine because he was able to make it from uh, beginning to end without defaming the name of Christ, proclaiming the gospel, and preaching the word of God. That's all I want to do. I don't care how big it goes. I don't care any of that stuff. I just want to be able to make it to the end and say, I got there. That building over there was built by the very hands of our people. Uh, if you read it in the history, like they built it. They got their own hammers. They got their kids, and they started hammering in. They, were, they self-built the whole building. There's a picture of a little boy. He was like three years old, a hammer like this. He's now like 40 years old. He's got three kids. He goes to our church. Like he was there when that thing was built. In the early 2000s, they built this building. Unbelievable uh, a building. Uh, just a, a wonderful history of what our church has been through, and now it's our objective to make sure that this legacy continues on into the future. Like I said, it's a very pivotal point. We're 60 years old. Most churches at this point are dying off, and we're going to make sure that we can carry that rich legacy, rich history, all that investment that was done from the generations before us, we're going to push it forward to the future. This series is all going to be how we're going to do that. It's going to be all about, if you're new to us and, and you're like, there's something about this church that I like, you'll find that because when we go through all of our values in the next six weeks or so, you go, oh, that's why I like the church, because I personally have these same values that they're espousing. And so that's why it connects with me. That's why I like this church, and as we go through this, you'll find yourself connecting with the values that we that we connect. With. If you're new to us, great time to be part of this series because you're going to be like, oh, this is what this church is all about. Does it is it in agreement, in alignment with my own personal values, or is it not? And sometimes that's a good discussion. It's not a scary discussion. There's a church for everybody. We'll talk about what makes us distinctly Camp CC. What distinguishes us from every other church? Uh, what are our distinctives? What are our values? What do we emphasize? Every church has biblical imperatives, but then how you, how you play it out is different for every church. And we'll, so we'll look at that together. But today we'll look at what biblical principles are non-negotiable for all churches. And then a little later we'll talk about how we endeavor to employ those principles. What should church life, should church, what should church life look like? And how do, do we employ such things in our own uniqueness? How does our church size up to the biblical directives? And why does every church need to be a little different on these things? What must we do as a church and how will we endeavor to meet these biblical expectations? For that, I want you to turn your Bible to Acts chapter 2. If you turn with me right there, please. Hopefully you have a bound Bible or you have a phone or something with a Bible. If you're online right now, open up a new screen and get the Bible. Something you can highlight, you, somewhere you can circle, something you can take notes in. Uh, But we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And the overarching question today is, what are some principles from the early church that we should apply to our own church today? Like, what are some principles from the early church that we should apply to our own church today? We're going to jump right into Acts chapter 2 and look at that together. If you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen for you. It says this. And they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and to Fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had seen as any had need. day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord did what? Added to their number day by day those who were being what? Saved. That's what was happening in the early church. And so we're asking questions. What are some principles from the early church that we should apply to our church today? What should we see in expectation if our church is going to be like the church in the New Testament? What should we see that would be kind of like what we see in the New Testament? The first thing we're going to do, I'm going to show you six different principles from this passage. The first thing I'm going to do is we're going to see that in church life, there's a physical and spiritual component to our gathering times. There is to be a physical and a spiritual component to our gathering times. That's what we saw in the first century. That's what we should see today. A physical and spiritual component to our gatherings. I get this. From verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bed, fellowship again, and to prayer. So you see the the spiritual part is they devoted to the apostles' teaching. Do you know that that's all we do? The New Testament is full of the apostles' teaching. They were the ones who had the gift of inscripturation. They delivered us the canon of the scriptures in the New Testament. Anytime we teach in the New Testament, all we're doing is devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And so I say, on the spiritual level, when we gather together, we're going to uh, uh, have this component where we focus in on the spiritual. We'll focus in on the apostles' teaching, and we'll focus in on prayer. That's the spiritual side. On the physical side, we'll focus in on fellowship and the breaking of bread. There is to be both a physical and a spiritual component to our gatherings, and that's really what we do. Uh, We're here today. We're doing the Bible part. This is the spiritual component. Hopefully, we'll lead challenge to be better in our lives because of what we find in the scriptures. There's a physical component too, like you're here and I'm here. We're here to live in community together. Christianity is much more of a team sport than it is a solo sport. There's tennis where you win on your own, and there's basketball where you play with five players. There's golf where you play on your own, and there's football where there's 11 players on the field. Uh, We're much more of a team sport than we are of an individual sport. Now, i got to be honest with you. uh, COVID has thrown a wrench in this whole thing where people are saying, hey, I can just do everything online. And and by the way, the online thing is not a bad thing if you're, let's say you're out, you're you're, you're away this weekend on a business trip and you're still connecting with us. I know plenty of people do that. I have some health issues in my family, so I'm being protective. I get that too. That's why it's there. Uh, Most people today don't get Sundays off. I get that too. But there's another crowd that's out there saying, you know what, I think I'll just take this in from home. Well, that's great because it does certainly value the spiritual side, the teaching of the word, the worship, but it doesn't value the physical side. And that's what the church has been all about, that we would be, I would be here for you and you would be here for me. That there was a community, that we live life together, life on life, not just intellectual, but spiritually speaking, we have this intellectual, spiritual part and then this interrelational part as well. And so it concerns me. It concerns me that that is um, our new rhythm of things. You know, uh, in the years past, we would have um, churches in the last 50 years used to go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then you'd also go to church on Wednesday uh, evening, and that was either a prayer meeting or some kind of discipleship emphasis. Uh, They they used to call it Three to Thrive. Anybody want to raise their hand who was in a church where they had Three to Thrive? Yeah, 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 Three to Thrive. You want, and then now we've relegated that to just, well, let's just make it bite-sized on Sunday morning. Let's just make it a Sunday morning thing, and, and, and we'll do that. And now people are viewing themselves as being 100% committed to their God and to their faith and to their church if they go to church one time every four to six weeks. Like, wow. We're going to see a little later in our passage they were meeting every day. Well, that's convicting. Let's, let's keep on going. Uh, church life. They had the expectation and experience of the miraculous happening. I get this from verse 43. And all came over everyone's soul. Why? Because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. How many of you come to church every week and think, I can't wait for God to do a miraculous thing? I have to be honest with you. Like, I'm on the no vote on that one. I, I really don't. I really don't come to church like, God's going to do a miracle today. I, I just, I don't, I don't have that in me. I haven't seen a lot of that. I, I certainly haven't seen some of the miracles that we see in the book of Acts where, where like an apostle's shadow heals somebody. I haven't seen miracles like that. But I'll tell you what I have seen. I've seen marriages that you thought were 100% going to fall apart, get back together again, and be restored. I've seen people who, who you thought would never come to faith in Jesus Christ get saved. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you, I told, I told the first hour, my brother just came to know Christ and, in, in, well, he told me he came to know Christ. He first professed to me that he came to know Christ in January. He was here for a weekend. He said, I've been watching online and watching the church. He lives in Wisconsin. And I finally went to my room and I did what you said, David. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to him tell me about how he received Christ in his room after watching us online. So there's something good about online, obviously. You know, he comes to faith. About two months ago, I get, uh, my assistant writes me an email. Hey, do you want to, your, your brother just gave to the church. Do you want to do the follow-up giving process for him? We have a whole little process of you give. Hey, welcome. We, you know, it's just a way of saying we see you, we appreciate you. There's so many of these things. I don't know who I'm writing to whenever I sign my name or whatever. It just, it just goes out. She goes, do you want to do it for your brother? He lives in Wisconsin. I mean, I go, yeah. I mean, certainly it would be best for him to have a church in Wisconsin he's going to and living life on life. But until he gets to that point as a new believer, let's encourage him what he's doing. This week, this is last week, he wrote me a text message, and I read it to my wife. And it said, "I just bought my first Bible, and uh, I've read this book about memorization, and I'm starting to wonder if I apply those principles of memorization, memorization to the Bible, that maybe if I memorize the Bible, it might change my life, and I might be a better father, husband, and and I'm thinking this might this could actually be very effective in my life." And my wife, I told her that, yeah, praise God. I told my wife that, and she starts crying we know for 20 years how we've been praying for that guy and how he was like the guy that was never going to come to faith. Like it, never. When I was 15 years old, I'm new in the faith. I'm like trying to cuss him to Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, like that's going to work or something, right? You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> you you need know, all these kinds of things. That, that's the guy who said I was brainwashed who's now bought a Bible and memorizing. God still does miracles today. He still does miracles. And we should expect them in our midst. Like whatever you came in with, there's no way God can handle this. He might just surprise you. And if you begin praying for it, like that's why I love the stage area. You come up here and you pray, nobody's judging, nobody's thinking about you. It's just you and God. And then when he comes through from you, you give him the glory because you placed it at his feet. And he took care of it for you. They had an expectation that God would do the miraculous. Church life, in the, in the early church setting, there was a generosity towards the needs of the people in the community. I get this from, from verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing distributing the proceeds to all as any had need <laughs> wow I remember uh, recently Pastor Zach was preaching and kind of referencing this passage every call tune is like, yeah, make everybody all the other stuff and give it to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you grow a little bit and you get in your career and you and you've earned something, you're like, wait a second, is, is the word of God really saying that we should sell our possessions and give it to everybody? Uh, you know, c- could not there be like couldn't this be manipulated in the negative way too? I mean, uh, you know, type of thing. And by the way, I want to let you know, there are people who have done this kind of thing. Yeah, there's called a, a thing called a cash-out refi, and people be, we have this building because people said, you know what, we want to devote ourselves to the Lord, and we're willing to take a loan on our house so we can have this beautiful building. God bless them, the legacy crowd who did this for us. There are people who do that kind of thing. It's not that extraordinary. It's not that uncommon. It can actually happen. But as for this idea of selling all your, your stuff and, and giving it to other people, I want to kind of balance that out with another passage. Let's go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 and 12. And then we're going to kind of weigh out how we do both of these in connection. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not what? Eat. For we hear that there's some among you who are in, who walk in idleness and who are who are not busy at work and are busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their own to do their work quietly and to earn their own what? Living. Now the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so somehow these two principles have to be balanced out together. In one sense, the people of God are willing to get together, be generous for those needs that are there, that are actually there. In another sense, if there's a situation where somebody's kind of abusing the kindness of the body of Christ, then you say, no, you don't do that, you know. We have a wonderful team here that looks, look, looks over every situation. We have a fund called the Benevolent Fund that we would like to know if anybody is in trouble. Please, would you let us know. We have monies there. We have people who gave who. who received monies from it and are now giving to that same fund because they remember what it meant for them to get money from that fund, and now they give back to it. There's monies there available for people who are struggling. We want you to utilize it. If you're in our church and you're in our body, we want. Now at the same time, there's a team that goes, okay, is this an ongoing issue? Or is this a, a, a one-off that would really help you? We're really into the one-offs where we can help. If it's an ongoing issue, then I'm not sure that we can be involved without uh, becoming uh, kind of aiding a situation that's not going to be helpful for you. And so we have counselors, and we have a team that comes, and they do some financial counseling even. And we do a whole process of that to where we can do both. Where we can say, you know what? want to make sure that we get somebody back on their feet to where they can work. At the same time, we want to be generous to those who are in need. So church life. They found ways to be generous. Uh, 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 Fourthly, they found regular attendance at worship activities um, essential. I get this from uh, verse 46. And day by day they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. Every day. And again, I just mentioned, we go four to six weeks and we think, oh, I've done my commitment. Check that one off. Really? Is that the same commitment that we see in the scriptures? Again, I'm not saying we should meet every day, but man. At some point, i got to ask myself, what is the priority of God and spirituality in my life? This just makes sense. You go to your dentist, he's going to tell you to brush your teeth. You go to a chiropractor, he's going to tell you to do more sit-ups. You go to your doctor, he's going to tell you to eat well. When you go to your pastor, he's going to say, go to church and worship God. That's what I'm going to be about. That's what we should be about. Study the word of God and let it impact your life. We'll keep on going. Church life. They had a high value of exalting God. I get this from 47. They were praising God in the midst of this uh, eating together, they would praise God and they had His favor. Now, they had an idea that the church is about looking up towards God. Like we come here to worship Him, not to be worshiped. Sometimes we flip it upside down. I want to come because I want to get filled up and walk out and be encouraged. Wait a second. I thought church was about worshiping Him. Like, like I, I, in worship of Him, I might leave encouraged. But that's not the end. The end is to say, you are exalted, you are set apart, you're high and lifted up, I'm down here. And I love Kenny's emphasis, when you take communion, make sure you do some work on your heart before you do that. It's it's an important exalting activity. Let me phrase it this way. The Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to worship God, no, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever glorify God. He's high and lifted up. We glorify him and enjoy him forever. Sometimes in the American church, it's like flipped the opposite way. The chief end of man is to worship himself while he's glorifying himself forever. We have to have the right mindset when we go to church. This is about him giving him glory, giving him honor. Giving. It's, it's, it's one direction, upward arrow, not downward arrow. We have to be so careful about that that we make sure we didn't make this about us all of a sudden. This is about the Lord and exalting him. Well, lastly, uh, church life in the first century came with the expectation that God would add to their number. See in the last verse of 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being what? Saved. This would be an expectation that there would be people in our midst that don't look like us, don't act like us, don't walk like us, don't dress like us. And we shouldn't go, oh, man, I can't believe we're starting to reach folks. I'm going to stay on the opposite side of the room with them. They're a bad influence on me. They're a bad influence on my kids. Well, wait a second. That's the whole point. We're supposed to be here to help others come. There was a day where you didn't know Christ and somebody introduced you to Christ. We should look at ourselves as being that conduit to share Christ to others. And there should be the expectation that that. God will grow the numbers as you're faithful to the word of God, as you're faithful to the gospel. Like, that's what he does. And there may be people that come in here and and vote differently than you and look differently than you and dress differently than you, and they're in process just like we're all in process. And who they are today may not be who they are in in months or years to come. And we should have, like, a patience for that. You know, some of the, it's going to be real, uh, some of the most... um, the conversations on the patio that make me smile the most are when I'm having a conversation with somebody and they, like, a bad word slips out by accident, and they go, "Oh my gosh, you're a pastor!" Like as if, as if I'm God. I'm nobody. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know, like you know, I, you know, <laughs> type of thing. You're like, like, and I just smile. I go, "Man, you're in the right place. I'm so glad you're here. Keep coming. Keep diving the Word of God. God will take everything, take care of everything in His season, in His time." Just love that you're here. You make you probably the highlight of my day. And that's how I handle that because that's exactly what we want, right? We want more people to know the Lord. Well, now let's talk about how, as a church, we are endeavoring to do all these things. Um, there is something called the mission of the church, this would be the biblical imperatives. Everybody should evangelize. Everybody should worship God. Everybody should preach the word of God. All these things are not, um, uh, they're not negotiable. They're non-negotiable. They're the, they're the imperatives of the scripture. They are the mission that God has for every church. And then there's the vision of every church. And this vision piece is more about how you're going to go about that mission. And every church is a little different on that. Uh, depending on their uh, the surroundings, depending on their history, depending on where they are, depending on the strengths of their pastor, the way they do the biblical imperative will be a little different. And so, I want to talk about the vision of our church. And I'm going to kind of give you a peek into like behind the scenes, kind of like behind the curtain. All right, uh, things that you may have never seen before. We actually have a really detailed, written out vision statement that I don't present to the church because I don't want everybody to memorize. It's not one of those things. It's more of a thing where where I really want our elders to be aligned on it. I really want our staff. to be aligned our pastors everybody who's serving on our teams leadership wise this is who we are not only what we're doing scripturally but how we're going to do it and we use this as an aligning statement and it's certainly not something you can memorize it's pretty long but i want to put on the screen give you kind of like a, a a behind the curtain look at this all right it says this at camp cc we desire to reach all generations while focusing on the next generation of unreached people We will accomplish this by utilizing attractional, worshipful environments and making a direct impact in the communities in which we live using missional initiatives. You might see, and as I say this, how we do what we do, and and you might even say, oh, yeah, I can see that in the last year or so. We aspire to build an outwardly focused reputation to introduce people to Christ, disciple them through family-deep relationships, and to teach them sound biblical doctrine. Now let me go through this piece by piece. I want you to notice that it's intentionally um, uh, multi-generational nature. We want to reach all generations. And yet we're going to focus on the generation of unreached people, the next generation. Why? Because that's where the need is. (laughs) Those are the people who are lost. And so, yes, we want to reach all generations. We're going to be multi-generational. We'll come back to how that looks in a second. And at the same time, we're going to reach an unreached next generation. We will accomplish this by utilizing attractional, worshipful environments. Uh, lights, fog, uh, technology. One day there'll be a big LED screen behind me that has all, has all the PowerPoint on, and the two screens on the sides will be just live cameras so those who are watching online can see both the notes and me preaching at the same time. Right now we have to switch back and forth. We'll, we'll utilize all that kind of stuff because we know that everybody, you can't go anywhere without a screen today. Your kids have screens in the back of your car. Right, So screens are everywhere, and so we're going to use these worshipful, uh, attractional elements to attract people, and then we're going di- to make direct impact in the communities in which we live using missional initiatives. If you've been part of our church for any kind of time, you know three or four times a year we're going to do something outside these walls. We're going to collect money. We're going to do stuff. We're going to help uh, the problem of eradicating uh, our girls from being sex trafficked on the streets. We're going to help homelessness we're going to help with anything we can imagine girls crisis pregnancy we've done all kinds of different activities started a church in columbia started church in or starting churches in la and and rialto we go out of our way and we actually put our money where our mouth is and we'll say how about you give to that initiative rather than give to our church and we'll see if god turns off the lights we've done it like 10 times thank goodness god never turned off the lights we are thinking about turning off the air conditioner though <laughs> just kidding And so, yeah, December, right, 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 right. And then once we get this outwardly focused reputation, people go, that's what I think church should be about. That's what religion should be about. I'll go to that church, and we introduce them to the gospel. Once they introduce them to the gospel, they, they place faith in Jesus Christ. Now we're all about discipling them through family deep relationships to sound biblical doctrine. I'm going to talk about how that plays out in our church in this next set of slides. I've, I've shared this before, before the pandemic, but it's so important to keep in front of everybody so we know exactly what we're doing and how we're going to do it. We ask the question, what is a church? What is a church? And I want you to see that the church is made up of two floors. There's the bottom floor, the front door, and then there's also the upper room, which is above the bottom floor, and it's closer to the steeple, right? It's closer to the cross, right? So you have a bottom floor, the front door, and then you have this upper room. Let's talk about the upper room. The upper room is where you have all your theological elements. This is where the message is. This is where biblical teaching is. This is where discipleship is. This is where the mission of God is. This is where true worship is. Uh, The higher motivation of everything. It's not just a song that I like because it has a nice beat. No, I'm talking about God and I'm worshiping God. That's the upper room kind of activity. That's an upper room kind of ideology. So the message is our rhythm as a church as we go through Bible books We teach through Bible books. We don't just do five-week series on something that will be really relational and helpful and kind of a self-help approach to Christianity. We actually teach through the Bible. That's going to be our approach. That's in the upper room. Biblical teaching, discipleship, mission, all those things are in the upper room. Now, in the first floor, however, you'll find all the experiential elements these experiential elements are more of like the Donker ambiance. This is the stage state creativity. Like I just said before, there'll, one day there will be a, a big screen behind me, an LED screen that will, that will be able to promote and use technology. This is the musical style and song selection. Uh, This is the the sound levels. Uh, One generation will love the mids. That's because their generation really value the mids. Another generation will like the highs and the lows and really like the lows. And so even the mix of how you do a song can affect people's experience in church as well. This is the theatrical lighting. This is the fog. I was telling our our staff team one time, that I, I can't stand that we're a fog church. I never wanted to lead a fog church. Like I want to be a Bible teaching church and here we have Fog. And I was, like, frustrated and whatever, and so they just let me lament or whatever. And whatever, if we need it to reach people, we'll do it, you know, type of thing. And then several weeks later, like, I I go to Kelly and go, man, those beams. I don't know what you guys are doing, but you make those beams from the ceiling come down, and they shoot down, and they they do that beam stuff, you know. And and he goes, hey, Dave, you know what we need to make those beams? I go, what, you need better lights? We'll buy better lights. What do we need? What do we need? He goes, we need fog. I'm like, oh. (laughs) So now I say we're not a fog church, we're a light beam church and there's a difference. <laughs> Thank you for clapping for that. There are, There is the upper room activities of the church and then there's the front door activities of the church the things that draw people in and usually those things that draw people in are kind of like you know, superficial in nature and those of us who are mature in our faith, we don't need that, we don't need it, you're right, but we do need it to reach another generation. And I'm asking everybody in this church, If we're going to go from a church in one life cycle to a second life cycle, if we want to get another 60 years of this place so that the legacy of the people before us, their their investment, uh, when they sacrifice and remortgage their houses to get this building, if we want that to last more than 60 years, then we're all going to have to have deference for each other. We're all going to have to meet in the upper room. You meet us in the upper room when you come in and you take some earplugs so we can reach the next generation. You mean this in the upper room when you put up a deeper biblical Bible book teaching, even though you prefer some encouraging topical kind of a feel instead? There's a popular notion going around. I don't want to feel guilty when I leave church. Church is supposed to make me feel encouraging. I should be encouraged. Well, that would be the chief end of man is to glorify himself forever, not God. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but I'm telling you, if you start reading this book, you'll see that God's strategy is to convict, to reprove, to rebuke. There is challenging stuff in his word, and I'm not going to stop being challenging just because maybe you don't have the attention span for it. Would you be able to put up with deeper biblical Bible book teaching, even if you prefer something else, so that we can reach another generation that values that, Did you know we just did a series on 1 Corinthians, and chapter 11 through 14, if I just took those chapters, conservatively, I would say that was at least five to seven books that were read, just to make sure that we were accurate on that. Thousands of pages. Now, I didn't do it during that series. I've been reading on 1 Corinthians for probably five years, just so I could be prepared for that series. That's the kind of emphasis we put on the teaching of the Word. Can you put up with that? Do you have the attention span? Even when I was a youth pastor, I would say, I'm going to expand their attention span so one day when they get into church, they're ready to handle more deeper theological. I look for the theology in the passage. Is there something theologically that I can reveal to everybody? I'm going that direction. I'm going to expand people's attention span. Can you, you? You meet us in the upper room when you put up with that. You meet us in the upper room when you catch worship at our new worship room venue behind me in the, in the old what was called the old choir room. And then you walk over for live teaching so the younger generation can have the ambiance and environment that's necessary to reach them. You meet us in the upper room when you don't speak negatively about any different type of song that wasn't your style song. There's some songs I hate. I can't stand. They're flowery. They're like poetry. I'm more objective. I just want God is holy. He's awesome. Let's praise him. That's what I want. Objective truth. There's some songs that aren't written that way. You know what I do during those songs? I look around and I go, Wow. You are meeting him there, you are meeting her there, and I praise God for how He's meeting other people. And I don't bash the song, and I don't bash, you know, I don't, I don't write an email to the to the worship pastor saying I don't like that song, because I can see other people around, other people around that God's using that song in their lives. Who's to say that mine's way is the only way to worship God? Maybe other people worship God subjectively. I worship objectively, which is the right way. You meet us in the upper room when you get here early and you find your seat before the lights go down because of the darker ambiance maybe is an issue for you. One day we'll have a new lighting system and we'll be able to have that darker ambiance without it being so dark. It sounds weird, but it's true. It just costs a lot of money. One day we'll get there. But until there, you get here early. You meet us in the upper room when you get here early and say, you know what? I want this church to be the next generation. I'll get there early. You meet us in the upper room when you come to church and, and you allow in your church experience something less than cutting edge YouTube channel church life. And what I mean by that is uh, everything on YouTube today is 20 minute Ted talks, 20 minute Ted talks. That's it. You know, and the church should only preach for 20 minutes because that's all the people have the attention span for. And I've cut it down to 38 minutes. And, and, and that's where I'm at. I'm not going any lower. I came from churches that went 55, 65, even 70 sometimes, <laughs> I said, I'm not doing that. I think 38, I can do it. I can, I can expand their attention spans. I can give them theology. I can do all of it in 38 minutes. There's a, there's a counter on the wall. I know exactly. Don't turn around and look at it. Did you know that there's a shocking device in every chair? We can shock you. Don't you dare ever turn around. <laughs> Don't you ever turn around while I'm preaching to look at the time. But I do that because I, I just saw you turn around. Don't you dare do that. We will kick you out of this place. Why do I do that? You know, churches like us usually preach for an hour and a half. I have little ladies going, you should just let them preach. Preach for an hour if you want. Okay, okay, okay. There's a younger generation that I'm trying to bring up as well. And so I limit to 38, but I'm not going to 20. And when talks become 10 minutes, I'm not doing that either. And I'll put my foot down and say, no, we're going to expand our attention span. It's one day a week. We're going to expand our attention spans to see the word of God change our lives. You meet us in the upper room when you say, okay, I'll, I'll devote myself. I'll go to sleep early on Saturday night so I can be wide awake on Sunday morning, ready to hear from God. You meet us in the upper room when you find deference for one another. In fact, that's our big idea for today. Our church will continue to find success as we continue to find deference for each other. Our church will continue to find success as we continue to find deference for one another. Uh, understanding that we're one church in one life cycle trying to get into another life cycle, understanding that, that to get there from one 60 years of success to another 60 years of success, there's going to be some changes, and not all of those changes are going to fit my preference so that we can reach another generation. The fact of the matter is, 30 years ago, you went to the church of your preference, and the younger generation today wants to go to the church that fits their preference. I'm trying to make it so that we do A little bit for everybody so somebody can find a place. I can meet you in the upper room here. I can reach you in the upper room here. But we're all going to meet each other in the upper room so that we can be a multi-generational church. Our church will continue to find success as we continue to find deference for each other. That's the truth. Well, that reminds me of a quick little story that I'll end with, and that is the story of Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson uh, has the record for the most bases stolen in baseball in the history of the MLB. Uh, He had 1,406 total bases stolen by the time of the end of his career. He literally is the greatest base stealer of all time. In the early years of his career, the first five years or so, he had three seasons where he had more than 100 stolen bases in a season. There was one year where he stole 130 bases. He was caught 42 times. But when you try that often, you're going to get caught every once in a while. 130 stolen bases in one season. Just to give you an idea, last year, the number one, uh, the base stealer of, of the MLB last year had 30 stolen bases. He had 130. I remember, because I was a little kid, going to Oakland Coliseum, he was on the Oakland A's. And when Ricky hit first base, it didn't matter if he walked in there if he got a single. If he was on first base, the whole stadium expected him to be on third base within seven pitches. He's going to be on third. Just watch. Ricky's on first. And he would just run at any old time he wanted to. And by golly, the majority of the time, he would make it over. Rarely did we ever see him get caught. There was a coach that came to him and said, Ricky, if I could just get you to run at the right time. Like if you would just stop running at any random old time, if you would look to me and wait for me to give you the signal on when to run, you would be even more efficient on your base stealing. And Ricky's like, I'm the fastest man in the world. Why didn't he listen to you? And he was probably right. But at some point along the way, he started listening to his coach. See, his coach knew when the pitcher was going to throw an off-speed pitch, or this is a count where he's going to throw a curveball, and if he throws an off-speed pitch or a curveball, then Ricky gets that much more time to run to second or run to third. He said, you're running during fastball counts. Stop doing that. Watch me. I'll tell you." you. And Ricky says, all right. And he tried it. And sure enough, now nobody can catch him. Nobody can catch him. And in his own documentary, he says, that was the day that I became invincible. The day that I said, okay, pair up my athletic ability with my coach's brains and nobody can stop me. Two entities, two people who found deference for each other and literally broke the record that will probably never be broken again. In their own deference to one another, they found a synergistic energy about them that will probably never be defeated. There's just no way anybody's going to get close to that record again. And I find it to be a great example of our church. Our church will continue to find success as we find deference for one another. I need everybody to meet us at the, at the upper room. Everybody, meet us at the upper room. And, you know, God bless you. There's so many people in our church who have already come to me and said, Pastor, I'm meeting you in the upper room. I'm not worried about the music. I'm not worried about that. I'll put the earplugs in. I'm not worried about all that. I know we're trying to reach the next generation. Just keep on preaching the word. Great, you're meeting me in the upper room. I've had other ones say, hey, I would like it louder. I wish the bass was hitting off my chest. I want some anxiety when I come to church. (laughs) But you know what? I value having an older generation here to mentor us, and so I'm meeting you at the upper room. We need everybody to meet us at the upper room. And if we can find deference that way, who knows? Who knows what records we can break for the kingdom of God? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I don't know. Um, where you're at today. But if you'll continue to hang out with us for the next six weeks or so, you'll learn a lot about our church, who we are, who we want to be, where we're going. And I believe some exciting times. Um, God has put it on our elders' hearts together to, to, to try to take some ground for the kingdom. And if you'll hang out with us this fall, I think you'll be very excited about what God can do with us. There's something that we could do greater together that we could never do on our own. so powerful about being part of a church. But for us to get there, we're all going to have to meet in the upper room. Not major on the minors. Major on the majors. Can you do that with me? Father, I've been uh, thankful for Pastor Emeritus Ralph Rittenhouse since the first day I got here. He has a story that I want, that I've been praying for for years. I don't care how big the church grows. I don't care how many people, I don't care about writing books. I just want to be able to make it to the end and say I was faithful. I didn't defame the name of Christ. I didn't touch anybody, any money, and my head didn't grow too big. That man has that story. He's my goal. I thank you for the influence that he's had on our church. 30 some odd years, all these buildings, all this land. should name a room after him or something. He's so, such an awesome human being. And Father, I'm asking you and I'm begging with you and I'm pleading with you that the favor that you had on us in our first life cycle, that you would extend that favor to a new life cycle. That we would be able to to be the QB transition dynasty, as it were. That you would say, I'm going to take my favor for the first 30 years and I'm going to give you another 30 years of favor. The first 60 years, I'm going to give you another 60 years of favor. And you will reach another generation. And in this generation, we won't have to pay $1 towards bank fees, not $1 towards interest. We could use it all for the kingdom of God. That's why I'm here. That's why I came. Because I remember 20 years of, of praying that you would bring in $50,000 a month for a mortgage, $45,000 a month for a mortgage, praising you when it got refied to $35,000 a mortgage. Here there's nothing, nothing is being given to a bank. All of it is going to the kingdom of God. Would you give us your favor? Would you give us your favor? Let us reach another generation. We can do so much more with the resources if you give us your favor. Father, I'm asking for your blessing because of what you might be able to through to us if you give it to us. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pastor David, for that challenging message. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. I don't think you're here by accident. I think you're here because of the divine will of God brought you here to be here in this moment. Um, Acts 2.21 says that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're living the world's way, you're living for yourself, and maybe you're here and you're ready to turn towards Jesus, Uh, you can do that today in the quietness of your heart by just saying, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace in my life turning away from the world. I'm going to turn away from living my way. I'm going to start living your way. Uh, Jesus died on the cross to provide salvation for us, and all you need to do is accept it. If that's where you're at today, if God's doing something in your heart, we really want to be part of that journey with you. Um, so could you please just let someone know? I think that's a big step if you are if you want to accept Jesus. And, um, we have people at the welcome counter on the left-hand side of the lobby who would be willing to talk to you. Um, or you can go to camcc.net and click on Next Steps. There's a little form you fill out, and one of our pastors will get back to you. Because if you may have questions, uh, we want to be able to pray for you. If you don't have a Bible, we want to get you one. All right. Um, we're going to receive our offering now. We do that uh, virtually, or we have an offering box in the lobby. So you can go to our website. You can give via text by texting the number 84321 with an amount. Um, and this is how all of our ministry is supported. It's, we do this to honor God and worship God when we give. All right, before we go, let's check out this video about small groups and what's coming up next. I think when they say growth group, there's several dimensions of growth that that term can really apply to. It's the social aspect of it and how much closer you grow with the other people in your group, get to know them, as well as you grow in your knowledge of the Bible.
1: We were just interested when they said that there was gonna be a growth group so that we can grow a little bit more in our spirituality and and get deeper into the
2: message. The times and the days that we met were, were just fine. We could always plan around them. The message gets to a certain level and then when you go back over it, it gets to another level. And then to discuss it, you get even deeper.
1: Personally gotten out of growth groups, a deeper appreciation of the message. I just really love being together with all the people, getting to meet people, getting to pray for each other, getting to know people
4: on a little deeper level. Hey guys, I'm Jacob Salas and I'm the new middle school pastor here at Han CC. I'm so glad you're here. If you're a first, second or third time guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for hanging out with us. We want to put a face to the name, so please walk over to the welcome counter in the lobby with a connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net/slash-nextsteps. I'm so excited as we kick off the fall for our middle school and our entire church. It's a great season to invite someone to join you—co-workers, neighbors, friends, family. Don't believe me? Check out what's happening around here at Camcc. September 8th, I want to kick off sign up that night or go online to camcc.net slash ages 3 through high school, and it's a great way for kids to learn the Bible. For more information, email Doug49 at gmail.com. The month of September, growth group sign-ups. You guys got to check this out. Just an eight-week commitment to grow in your faith and get connected with others at CAMCC. You may be thinking, Jacob, I've never been in a growth group. Well, it's time to give it a try. It's just eight weeks, and the kickoff is September 18th. For more information, contact Jim Boyer at CAMCC.net or sign up on the patio or online. October 21st to the 23rd, Men's Retreat. Join the men of Camp CC for a weekend retreat in the glorious Golden Hills of Malibu with Rob Oram teaching on biblical Manhood. There's plenty of downtime for outdoor activities, games, or just relaxing. Check out the men's table on the patio for more information. Vision meetings. Vision meetings start this month. If you didn't get an invite mailed to your home and would like to attend, please let us know and we can make sure that you're a part of one of the six vision meetings we're holding this month. Just email michelle at campcc.net. Video venue. If you haven't heard, we just opened an alternative video worship venue for those who love our church but prefer a lower volume level of worship. Go ahead and check it out. to stay in the loop of what's going on at canCC follow us on instagram like us on facebook or subscribe to our youtube channel for more intel on any of these events go to cancc.net
5: as i close out our time our gathering time this morning would you stand um, i love acts two and I hope, Dave, you're happy to hear this. I'm encouraged when we get to to study that because what a beautiful picture it paints of not only what the church could be here, but what it will someday be when we get to heaven. Um, Guys, uh, remember, if it's your first, second, or third time, please go to the back of the welcome counter. We have some gifts for you. We would love to get to know you. Um, And if you're watching online, go to kmcc.net forward slash next steps and fill out the information card there. Again, we'd love to get to know you. Remember, Awana starts this coming Thursday, and there is still time to sign up. You don't want to miss it. It's a wonderful program. Um, before you go, we'd like to challenge you guys, invite somebody to come next week. Bring them into the, uh, the community here, the fellowship here. Uh, we'd just love to love on them. Um, so that's uh, my challenge for you guys. Join us on the patio for some, well, actually on I mean, the inside of the AC, right? They have to give you just snacks right over here for some coffee and donuts uh, and stay for fellowship. Bless you guys. You're dismissed.